This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1320, entitled Mushu Do About Something, <laughs> or Far Her Knows Best. Oh. Our podcast title is Fight Like a Pod. <laughs> I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And we're going to talk about Mulan today. Indeed. In various different incarnations. Because this is a film that has ancestors. Mm, Absolutely. A thing of legend. So there is a long tradition of warrior women in Chinese legend. The Queen Consort, High Priestess and General Fu Hao of the Shang Dynasty who was buried with swords and axes, which were symbolic of her military prowess. The Empress Dowager Luo from the Sixteen Kingdoms period, who lost an eye when fighting in the defence of Chizu in 303. General Shen Yanying, a 17th century commander who later opened a school where girls were educated in all things, including martial arts. And then there was the Lady of Wei, earliest known exponent of Chinese swordsmanship, and she was highly influential in Chinese martial arts thereafter. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, there's just a long tradition of women serving in male-dominated armies covertly, mm-hmm. in disguise, with or without the knowledge of their fellow soldiers or sailors. Mm-hmm. And Terry Pratchett rather neatly nodded to that in his Discworld novel, Monstrous Regiment, where everyone in a supposedly men-only squad turns out to be (laughs) masquerading females. (laughs) Enter Far Mulan. And I'll remind you that Far is her family name Mm -hmm. and Mulan is her personal one. And it's spelled H-U-A in Romanized alphabets and it means literally flower or magnolia if you want to get specific. Mm -hmm. And what a blossom she is. (laughs) A deadly battle blossom. So we know that the ballad of Mulan was first transcribed in the musical records of old and new. And this is in the Southern Chen Dynasty back in the 6th century. So it's a song, Mm. essentially. And not a very long one. I was Googling it before. You know, it takes about 10 seconds to read through. Mm, mm, mm. And after that, as with all good legends, the historicity of Mulan is still debated to this day. Yes. I haven't found a tomb or anything like that. <laughs> but, you know, when you get into this sort of realm, you are in the realm of King Arthur, Robin Hood, so many other mm. different characters from maybe history, maybe legend, but they've embellished it so much that it's taken on a weight of its own and become mythical. And so has Mulan, the famous Chinese woman who became a warrior in the army without them knowing it for quite some time. <laughs> And in the ballad, it's actually 12 years. Yeah, and they had no idea that whole time. And then she just kind of resumes life as is and they're like, you know, hand to cheek shocked when they see her. 
what? Get out of town. (laughs) As we were saying before, in in real history, women have been in disguise in the military before. Mm. Often it has been with the connivance of some of their peers, Mm -mm. you know, so you don't have to stretch the point too far, I think, really. (laughs) But it doesn't matter. She's been very popular in stage plays, Mm. in operas, and a whole quiver full of movies. Mm. From 1927's Far Mulan Joins the Army, right through to the 2020 CGI animated film Kung Fu Mulan. Oh, unaware of that one. Okay. Yeah. Oh, there's just so many of them. Now, the character has appeared in half a dozen television series as either the lead character or as an important one, mm-hmm. and dozens of books in the East and the West, and video games too. Mustn't forget those. Mm-hmm. There is even an arc of Marvel's Deadpool comics. No where Milan appears along with other famous literary characters. <laughs> I love that. She's star of at least three Disney features now, mm-hmm. the famous animated one and its sequel, and a new live-action one that we're going to talk about today, amongst others. And, in fact, because the Disney ones have informed each other, it's really actually kind of impossible to talk mm. about the new Milan without getting back into those too. Mm-hmm. So, have you seen the uh, the two original animated ones, Megan? No. So, this is something obviously. So, the original Mulan did come out in 1998, and so I was prime age, prime everything to be getting into Mulan at the time. I think we had a little chat about Disney princesses before, Rob. I was very much a Beauty and the Beast gal and a Little Mermaid gal, and I loved Disney, but no, I just never saw it, and I don't know whether there was, you know, you could dig deeper on that. But um, I just, yeah, I hadn't seen the animated one. And so then, to be honest, when this rolled around, I was like, yeah, I would be interested in watching it. But actually what I'll do is I'll go in pretty fresh and Mm. see what it's like as a standalone without having, you know, the expectations of the animated one hanging over its head, which to be honest is slightly different anyway. Like I think if I'd seen Mulan as a kid and had a very strong emotional attachment, I'd be in a very different place. So I'm very much coming at it as a fresh set of eyes, fresh audience member. So, yeah, very unfamiliar. What's your history with the uh, Mulan tale of the Disney variety? Well, I did catch up with the original Mulan Years ago, back mm-hmm. in the, I think it was in the in the late nineties, not too long after its cinema run, mm-hmm. uh, it was one of those ones that that went into into video and DVD and all that yeah. sort of stuff, yeah. and it became very very popular. Little girls were singing the songs everywhere. Little boys too. I can remember this is one of those ones where at the end of the film in the cinema, uh, the, the kids would run down to the front mm. in the space before the screen and do mock fighting and tumbling. (laughs) It got their energy going. I think it's a lovely concept as well. Like I think I've always been attracted to the kind of story that it was and what I knew about it, but, yeah, just skipped by me. And then it was, in fact, probably another 10 years or so until they kicked off the Disney stuff again. So that was the last one of uh, people of a certain age would have had as a kid. So, yeah, a very interesting one. It was directed by Tony Bancroft and Barry Cook, and, of course, they had worked on, on all of the other Disney movies that were in that sort of period up mm-hmm. until then. You know, the standard sort of Disney director lifestyle, mm-hmm. becoming a character animator and then working, you know, that, that whole career sort of uh, arc. And 
I think it was interesting that the voices that they got to do the English version hmm. uh, in the English language dub, Ming-Na Wen hmm. played Mulan. Now, we know her as S.H.I.E.L.D. Agent May. Mm-hmm. And it is actually hilarious that in another lifetime she was Mulan because that explains so much of her character. <laughs> Eddie Murphy played the voice of the dragon Mushu. Yeah, our comic relief character. Actually in the um, Chinese dub of the film, because uh, this is a Disney film made in America basically, um, he did the voice of Captain Lee Shang. So, you know, there was a lot of interesting stuff going on there. They tend to bounce this story around in time a bit, mm. depending on what the thought is at the time and, and sometimes what era they just want to set it in for the best costumes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they set this one in the in the Han Dynasty. So essentially the story is is pretty basic and all set out in the Ballad of Milan. She's quite a boisterous young woman, <laughs> just living a fairly, I would say, uneventful life, but it's not like that. <laughs> <laughs> Chaos tends to happen in her way. Mm. So she's in her little village. In, and when I say China, that's a big category. That is like saying the United States. That is like saying India. It's open to all sorts of contractions and expansions over history, mm. different locations and mm. that. Basically, let's just set it in a time when there are some northern barbarians, mm -hmm. and of course they're barbarians in spite of the fact that they actually had a remarkably sophisticated civilised culture of their own, mm. who are at the gates yes. of, of the civilised parts, <laughs> the empire. So anyway, the northern barbarians attack. The emperor sends out a decree to conscript the soldiers that they are going to need. They've already got an army, but they want more. They don't want to take any chances. So they're going to conscript one male from every family in the country. Mm -hmm. Now, Mulan's father is a war hero, mm -hmm. and he is differently abled after his service. Again, it depends upon which version you're seeing. Mm. Uh, a little bit like Dr. Watson, actually. <laughs> <laughs> he's either got a limp or else he's got some kind of chest complaint. But it will stop him from filling the duty of the family because he has no sons. Mm, mm, mm. He has two daughters or sometimes... Sometimes again, there's a younger brother in there as well. But, yeah, I mean, roughly the idea is there's no oldest son to, to send off. And so one day... Milan decides she's going to take off to the army. Mm -hmm. She takes her father's armour and his sword and the conscript documents so that she can submit those when she gets to the camp, and off she goes. Mm. She's going to infiltrate the army, which means she has to disguise herself, mm. which is actually easier under the armour than you might think. Mm -mm. I mean, infiltrate's an interesting way to put it. I mean, I feel like that insinuates a malicious intent. Really, she wants to be there to be in her father's place. And so to, in order to do that, she's kind of disguised herself as best as possible. So I think, yeah, she is infiltrating in the sense that she wants to go unnoticed and undetected and, you know, masquerade as a male there. But I definitely think, you know, her end goal is to do loyal duty for her country and she wants to fulfill that role. So she's very driven by all these very top-tier kind of traits that are very valued. Yeah. She's looking after her family, her family's honour, and also the empire as well. You know, what's not to like about that <laughs> from the point of either a kingdom or a state? <laughs> 
<laughs> so, you know, if you're going to say, well, there's a bit of propaganda in this one, of course there is. And whether or not it's ancient mm. or modern, it's actually a little bit hard to tell the difference because they blend in together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's quite a remarkable story. You know that she's going to end up in the thick of the battle. Mm-hmm. And listen, it's no real surprise that she's going to make her mark in no uncertain way. Yeah, yeah. This is actually a little bit of a story about, or a great big story actually, it's generally couched as a bit of an epic, about emancipation mm. and empowerment mm. and breaking out of the the village mould that would otherwise have encapsulated her for the rest of her life. Yeah, and I guess those gender expectations. And I honestly, I think there's so much good messaging around, you know, empowerment and so on. But I do also, there's a part of me that's like, well, she's an exceptional warrior, but does that mean that women have to be like four times better than men to be accepted kind of vibe? But that's the critical thinker in me. But the, you know, the movie watcher in me is like, yeah, Mulan, kick butt, like you're, you rock kind of thing. And that's the thing. She's a really great character, very strong, very principled. And, well, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm speaking from the live action, of course, but I imagine she's a similar character in the animated. Yes, she is. Actually, more than one animated, not only the Disney one and the sequel, but a couple of other ones as well. Mm. Too. But anyway, she has this interesting problem to actually do anything beyond what she would normally do as a common soldier, she actually has to kind of bump up in the ranks. Mm -mm. So there's all sorts of issues with that. And again, in the multiple interpretations, they approach that in different ways. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's the the inevitable difficulty of of maintaining her disguise. You know, is she going to take a bath? Well, She's going to act like a bloke and she's not going to take a bath. (laughs) (laughs) Personally offended by that. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so, all right, let's have a track here. And (laughs) I didn't have to think very long about this. I wanted something about Disney princesses. You don't actually have to say that Mulan is a Disney princess as such because she comes from a common family relatively. Mm. Unless she marries someone, she's not going to become a princess. Mm. I guess in terms of the Disney kingdom, she is one, I think, rather than her specific story. So I think in the realm of, (laughs) I guess, what we'd say the female protagonist in the Disney suite, that is where that comes from. But yeah, you're right. She's just kick-ass warrior, really. Mm. But if she marries the general's son, and the general is very possibly Mm. a noble, then, you know. Then we've got, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I know there's some differences in the animated to the live action, so I actually need to have a little look to see about that myself. So, But, yes, you're quite right. So I thought I'd play a song here where the Disney princesses meet the newest Disney princess, Princess Leia, (laughs) (laughs) just for a bit of fun. I'm Catherine Janeway, the captain of this ship. Can you hear me? Zero G is fun. As you were. Here on Triple R with <laughs> Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And we're talking about Mulan in various incarnations and adaptations. I think we're up to the original Disney 2 movies from 1998 and then the uh, catchily named sequel, Mulan 2. Mm. <laughs> As with any of Disney's cultural appropriations. Yes. I mean, there's a whole show around uh, Disney as culturally problematic. Yes, let's not forget that element of it. And, of course, Disney was trying to have a big hit in China with the mass market there as well. 
when you think about it, it's rather brave of them to try and adapt a very well-known and beloved Chinese story. It's a ballsy. Have the confidence of Disney, that's what I say. <laughs> they did actually give it a, a limited release in China too, but there were other problems at, at the time as well, some political overtones of other things that were happening. Mm. They thought that the story was too different from the myths in China. I was reading a whole article about it before, and one of the, the questions about it was the costumes, I'm thinking. Mm. And they were saying, oh, well, actually, you know, it's uh, like Mulan's wearing a kimono, which is completely different. Mm-hmm. You know, and I oh, okay, I'll, I'll just be quiet. <laughs> so, yeah, the thing about the two early ones are that they both are musicals. Mm, As Disney in general tends to be. Mm. Now, I felt that the songs were kind of shoehorned into it a little bit, but they mostly made sense and they did carry the plot along. Mm -hmm. They underline what are iconic moments in these movies. They give you a little exclamation point there so you know you're meant to be paying attention. Yeah, so when she's Milan is with the village matchmaker and trying to learn a tea ceremony and it all goes predictably horribly wrong, <laughs> you know, there's a special song for these areas. And the Mushu dragon, he has lots of the comic relief in the story as well. Mm. There's some lines which I thought were quite dubious. Like, for example, he, he talks about it's unusual to have an ancestor as a cross-dresser mm. you know, and then talks about uh, how she's taking her drag show on the road. Oh, okay. This is yeah, that's not aged well at all. <laughs> no, it it has not. I don't know if it's entirely out of context, given that the story does involve a disguise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it is a common trope, and I love a good kind of fish out of water story or a disguising yourself and then having to reveal your true identity story. I mean, I'm sure on looking back and watching Mrs. Doubtfire again, I might identify a few issues there. But in general, I think that's a fun trope. But I guess it's the idea is you need to also still be respectful (laughs) and not make it all about laughs. Like I think you, you need to have a bit of sensitivity as well. And I think that that's become more pertinent these days. And maybe in 1998, they weren't as concerned about being sensitive to everybody. Now, there's some great bits in the animated ones. Um, of course, Mulan has an entourage of beasties. She has a lucky cricket, <laughs> a horse to whom Mushu refers to as a cow or a heifer. Okay. <laughs> So instant dramatic tension between the dragon (laughs) and the horse. Actually, there's some great bits with the cricket. They use the cricket as a typewriter. Mm. Jumps into into some ink and then goes tap, 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 tap to forge some orders. You know, and there's some good stuff in there in the training, lots of interesting things about how she Mm. manages to adapt because she is not supernaturally skilled in Mm -hmm. the animated ones. Mm -hmm. She's just a very good natural fighter and with training Mm -hmm. she becomes even better. Mm. So, you know, she's creative, courageous, and willing to take the initiative. And that stands her in good stead in this man's army, as it mm-hmm. were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one one bit where she overcomes an obstacle <laughs> in a not entirely dissimilar way to the method that Steve Rogers used when training in Captain America, the first Avenger. <laughs> oh, okay. Because <laughs> she was clever instead of mm. trying to get at it at brute force. And, of course, there's a a soundtrack that's partly by Jerry Goldsmith, apart from the songs. Fun. So, you know, a lot of good pedigree for that one. 
I don't want to go too far into it, but Mulan 2, Disney's 2004 direct-to-DVD animated sequel, revolves around Mulan and her fiancé, General Shang, escorting free princesses to enough of kingdom to take part in arranged marriages that will help secure a vital political alliance to keep the kingdom safe, once again from barbarian incursions. Mm. The princesses develop their own indecent ideas about who they'd like to marry, and Mushu the dragon dishonorably throws himself between Mulan and Shang just so he can keep his position as first family spirit. And songs and mayhem ensue. ensue. Mm, mm. It's not a bad follow-up, and the voice cast list is worth a deep dive as it contains Lucy Liu, Sandra Oh, and even Karate Kid Sensei Pat Morita and radio icon April Winchell. We will give you another track. And then we'll briefly touch upon another adaptation of Mulan and then hop over to the actual movie that's Mm. just dropped. I shouldn't say it's just dropped because there's history on that too, but we'll get to that. (laughs) And this is Oath of the Warrior. And this is by Harry Gregson Williams, who sounds like he should be scoring a Sherlock Holmes movie. And this is from the new Mulan original motion picture soundtrack album Oath of the Warrior. Hi my name's Con Eagledon. I'm the author of the Dangerous Book for Boys and Wolf of the Plains and you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R. Oath of the Warrior from the New Milan <laughs> and that is by one who's got a great name I think for a Sherlock Holmes composer, Harry Gregson Williams. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah, you can see it happening. Or a cowboy. <laughs> or a cowboy, yeah. We've had a look at some of the animated movies. And by the way, Miriam Margolis in the English dub of the Mulan Disney animated musical movie, the first one, she played the voice of the matchmaker. Oh, and it's Star Trek's Mr. Sulu, George Omai Takei, who plays the voice of one of Mulan's ancestors and all. Oh, cool. Is it worth me watching those, do you think? Look, I enjoyed them. They're fun. Yeah, yeah. If you want to see a fun interpretation of Mulan Mm -hmm. with absolutely zero bloodshed, Oh, okay, yep. You'd be surprised how many big battles happen off screen in those movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, you know, they're Disney kids' movies. Yeah, totally. When they do the off screen executions or implications of battles, it can actually be a little bit scary. Okay. Just scary you know? enough. Just scary just a, enough. Just a little bit scary. Okay. You're thinking, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Disney can go a little dark. I mean, I, I still think about Dumbo and his mother and get very sad. So. <laughs> Or Bambi. I mean, that's the classic go-to, but nah. Dumbo's mother in the circus mm. still gets me. Still, I still tear up a bit. No. <laughs> You're crying. <laughs> <laughs> so the 2009 live-action Mulan, I wanted to revisit this one because I've seen it before, got a copy of it, and as a one that's made actually in China, I thought that it would be more bedded in the actual mythology and legends. It is partly, mm-hmm. and it's a darker film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a this is a film about battles, and it's about war, and it's about, you know, you can go as dark or as light as you want, right? Well, okay, this one functions as basically a a very gritty, epic, mm-hmm. historical war movie, okay. which are usually done pretty well. Mm. <laughs> in country, Mulan Rise of a Warrior, also known as Mulan Legendary Warrior, 
and it's directed by a guy with the jolly name of Jingle Ma. Ma is a Hong Kong-based film director. He's got under his belt films like Mr. Coconut, (laughs) Fly Me to Polaris, Tokyo Raiders, and The Butterfly Lovers, pretty much known for his action movies. So he wanted to play um, Far Mulan. He was thinking about... um, Zhang Ziyi, mm. Michelle Yeoh, you know, the usual crew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, did not pick any of them, essentially. And this one is set in 450 AD, okay. and it actually stars Zhao Wei, who we've seen in lots of different things. And it's the same skeletal structure of the story, mm-hmm. except they lean into the 12 years. Okay that she's supposed to be there. Yeah. So she ends up being there for a hell of a long time and mm-hmm. we see her entire military career okay. over yeah. that time as she rises to the rank of general. Oh. <laughs> so there you have it why she is able to do a lot more in this one. Because she does achieve flag rank, she essentially mm. – is an excellent strategist. So there is actual military formations and tactics used in this, even if some of them are a bit fanciful. <laughs> and there's a lot more blood in this one, right, of course. Yeah. Not necessarily over the top for this kind of war epic. Mm-hmm. She is a better fighter in this than she would be normally. We see that she was quite an adept fighter when she was young, and it doesn't take too many montages for her to get much better. Mm, Okay, right. And then she's all of a sudden the best warrior on the field. Okay, yep. Well, when she gets to the army and enlists, she's uncovered almost immediately by an old Mm. acquaintance from the village who (laughs) then helps run interference for her. Oh, that's a nice way of that going because it could have gone a total different way. Well, she's tougher than he is, basically, so she, <laughs> I don't think he'd dare. Lots of different adventures along the way, and she does fall in love with the general's son. Okay, yeah. Uh, one of the captains. Essentially, when she ends up becoming a leader, it's because she's committed a very, very heroic act along the way. That's pretty much what she does throughout this whole film. An interesting one, this one. They do take time to sketch in the villains, the Rulrun barbarians, mm-hmm. and there's a, a princess on the other side as well. Mm-hmm. Quite a bit of inflection in this. And where this one and, and the animated one both stand out, they both take a lot of time establishing the characters of the other three squad mates. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, all good war army kind of battle stories, you want to see the relationship between the people on the field, right? That's kind of sometimes where the good stuff is. I mean, you know, they are a unit, so you have to see some of that. Otherwise, it's just a lone warrior hero. And that's not what army is about, not really. So I actually appreciated this one. Um, The armour looks really good. It's a bit hard to say about the animated stuff because, you know, it's all... It's all stylized. Although I did like the way they did the horses in the animated one. They, mm. they look very much like stylized horses from uh, statuary of the period. Oh, nice. And I, I like this gritty, grim mm. <laughs> interpretation of Mulan. It's all about the horrors of war and the burden of command. Yeah, you know, yeah. Do not expect <laughs> a singing and dancing happy ending to this one. There's no funny dragon in this one. <laughs> No. (laughs) Most definitely not. (laughs) It's the 2009 Mulan, 
by mm. Jingle Ma. I actually watched that one with the subtitles on. It felt like it made a lot more sense. It mm. felt more um, localised. Mm. Anyway, I, I do recommend that one if you want a more gritty Mulan. Mm-hmm. Is it a, is it another patriotic epic? Well, of course, it's about repelling an invasion. Mm, but, yeah. but they do get some, some telling humanist points in along the way. I wouldn't say it's at the level of the epic Red Cliff movies mm-hmm. when it comes to historical military stories, but it's still not too bad at all, and it does make an interesting contrast. Mm. All right, so let us have a track here. You know, one of the big tracks from the new Mulan movie, mm-hmm. the reason for it being a big track, perhaps, is that it's sung by Christina Aguilera and it's loyal, brave, true. <laughs> so, you know, this will rouse you up and want you to fight the, the Mongols or the Huns or the Rurans or whoever's out of favour mm-hmm. at the moment, who you can make perfectly wonderful epics about in their own right. Exactly, where they're the protagonist, but that's not what we're watching this week on Zero G. No. This is Carly Chan, author of The Dark Heavens and Journey to Wudang Trilogies, and you're listening to 3RRR FM. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> Christine Aguilera with Loyal, Brave, True, in case you didn't get the message. <laughs> Very random. I didn't know Christina was still uh, pumping out tracks and I did not recognise her singing that at the end of that film. But that is a nice little ending credits track. And that's the end credit track for, uh, and also a music video track, obviously, for Disney's Mulan. Which has dropped on Disney+. Plus. Indeed. It is available now for the normal subscription price. Mm-hmm. When they first dropped it, it was somewhat pricier. Yes, for rent as well. Yeah, but I waited. <laughs> <laughs> It is directed by Nikki Karu. Mm, yes. I was happy to see there was a female behind the lens, New Zealander. We've seen her work before. She did Whale Rider, which was very well-received film. I haven't seen much of her other stuff. She did The Zookeeper's Wife a couple of years ago, and she's worked with Charlie Theron on a film called North Country. So a lot of films are a little probably different to an epic like this. I don't want to hit the the note too hard, but obviously she's not Chinese or Asian in any way. And uh, I know there was some criticism around this Mulan version not having very many people of Asian background working on it in the production of the film and so on and so forth. So I have a few thoughts around that, but I don't want to weight that too heavily right now. Let's just say I think Nikki Carr is obviously a wonderful director, yet she's helming this project and I think the style and some of the visuals were really quite beautiful. It's certainly very colourful as well. I think it's a really vibrant interpretation was having a look at some of the scenes from the 2009 version you're mentioning, the one that's the Chinese production. You know, obviously grim, very dark, whereas this, I think even in the battle scenes, there's a lot of colour and movement. So I thought that was a very interesting choice. I guess they're kind of building off the animated kind of style. So, yeah. Yeah, the colour palette in this one, they are definitely trying to have a foot in both camps. Mm -hmm. They're they're trying to lift it up, and they do succeed in those aspects of it. The story is pretty much the same as we've been through before Mm -hmm. with the other ones. I don't get the feeling that there's 12 years passing in this one. No, it's very hard to tell how long has passed, but, yeah, it's not that long. (laughs) 
cast, amongst the cast, and we'll get back to the star in a moment, there are no dragons. No. There are no lucky crickets. Sadly, no. (laughs) No unusually sentient horses. (laughs) But there is a witch. Oh, yes. Is this new, that character? As far as I've seen in the other ones, yes. Mm -hmm. Although in the animated one, the northern barbarian does have a hawk. Mm, Yes. Okay. So we've... But this character is definitely we're starting to hone in a little on some of the gender themes, I think, and a bit of a discussion around women and how you're meant to behave as a woman and what's accepted and so on and so forth. And so I think this character has been added in as well as a couple of other changes from what I can tell with a very much 2020 mindset in mind, like what's been happening with Me Too and all of that, I think they've made some changes accordingly. And I I didn't know for sure, but I'm not surprised that the witch is a new addition. Look at the rest of the cast, for God's sake. Donnie Yen. Mm, Yep. Jason Scott Lee plays Body Khan, who's the Roran warlord. Mm. Well, Gong Lee plays the witch. Mm Mm-hmm. And Jet Lee is the Emperor of China. An almost so unrecognizable Jet Lee. I saw the name in the credits. I was like, who was Jet Lee? And then I realized, I was like, oh, yeah, that was a surprise. And even down to some of the smaller roles, Milan's mother, Rosalind Kao, who mm. Star Trek fans will know from Deep Space Nine. She played uh, Keiko O'Brien. Mm-hmm. There is actually a uh, recruit called Cricket, though. Oh, yes. I didn't realize they had names. <laughs> Yeah, they did. They did have names. (laughs) Right up the top of the cast is Yiffy Liu playing Mulan. Mm. She does a pretty damn good job. Mm. I haven't seen her in too much other stuff. I think a lot of the younger cast, so the people who are cast as her comrades in the army and herself and so on, I think they're all fairly fresh faces. And then, of course, you've got some of the adult roles are, yeah, our um, more distinguished actors. They may be fresh if you're not seeing every single Chinese movie, which I have not, but I have seen a lot of them in the epic area. And I think what really, because she's very popular in mm. mainland China, but I think the ones that might have secured the role for this particular story was the 2005 fantasy action drama Chinese Paladin, Mm-hmm. which is uh, based on a role-playing game. Mm-hmm. And also she got to portray a character in The Return of the Condor Heroes, which is based on a Wuxia novel of the same name. Mm-hmm. Now, the Condor Heroes, they might as well be called the common heroes because they appear in so many different movies and mm-hmm. television shows, often completely ignored in the West. Mm-hmm. But they are very strong staples of the entire Waxia sort of category over there. Mm-hmm. So I reckon those ones would have helped get her this particular role. And there's controversy about this actress as well. She said some rather insensitive things about Hong Kong and police and yeah. fight that's ongoing on over there. And, you know, you can unpack that if you wish. Mm. This is the thing. Sometimes people do things, actors and directors and so on, people, creators behind films, and there are consequences to what they say and do in the real world. 
Yeah. And I, I will say, I guess while we're in the region, just to quickly touch on it, I think, you know, th- there was some controversies around this film. And I do think that the lack of diversity, people were very upset by that idea. And I thought there, there were two kind of sides of the camp. And one of them was very much, don't go see it. You know, they didn't have Asian people work on this. Like, please, you know, like, let's boycott it. Let's boycott it. And I mean, I'm saying that from that perspective. Like, I understand there was also a boycott based on her Hong Kong comments, which I'm not going to comment on because I don't, I have no, like, I'm very ignorant around that. But in general, regarding the lack of representation, it's also difficult, I think, because the way Hollywood is, this, as soon as a story doesn't do well, they'll write that off as an idea. So if a s- Asian stories, like one movie doesn't do well, it's like, well, people don't want to see Asian stories. Let's not do any more. And it shouldn't be like that at all. But it's also, you know, I think we need to show that what there's interest in seeing more diversity on screen, which I certainly have. And I think a lot of people have that interest. And, you know, maybe this is the start. And then we do need to keep rallying for people to be in front of and behind the camera and we needed, you know, just encouraging to keep doing better and keep doing better rather than this kind of shutdown mentality. So that's my comment on that. And I think in terms of how accurate or sensitive the portrayal is in this film in terms of Chinese culture, again, I have no authority to speak to that. But again, I think, you know, when we're watching these things, like, I think it is good to recognize the fact that there is a lot under the surface, like, you know, we want to attack it as a as a warrior story and the history, and I love that element, but I did just want to call out that obviously there's been some controversies and please feel free to explore those and come at these things with your own kind of intentions. Always good to start these conversations, so. Yeah. I don't shut them down with a but, I say and at the same time. Exactly, you know? exactly. So, Mulan, the character in this film is boisterous, athletic, spirited, and brimful of powerful chi. Mm-hmm, yes. So they've supered her up in this. Yes. Mm. She has powers, even if her sister is scared of spiders. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it, it is stunningly costumed. The action is done on a big scale, but pretty much without bloodshed. Yes. We're which, very light on in terms of gore. Practically none at all, actually. Anyone who gets offed gets offed sort of in a way that's so spectacular that you can scarcely connect it with reality. Yeah. Or it's a gentle implication that maybe they're unconscious or they're just slumped. You know, no one's insides are on the outside, let's say that. Oh, she does have a spirit animal in this one. It's not It's not a dragon. It's a phoenix, I seem to recall. Oh, yeah. I totally almost, forgot about that. But, yeah. but it, doesn't, it doesn't have character of its own. It's not voiced by anyone in particular. No, it's definitely much more of a motif that's kind of meant to connect us to the fact that she's got this guiding spirit that's keeping her going and destiny and and that kind of energy. You know, when you get Donnie Yen in one of these movies, you have to have him just some breakout scenes where he's just practicing his martial arts. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, this is Ip Man himself. (laughs) So he has to just stand on a platform and uh, just go through his forms. (laughs) Exactly. Like, let's give him the shot. Loved it. I think um, think they spent an exact right amount of time on the battle stuff, training sequences, all that jazz. Mm. Mm. Oh, and Mig Nguyen gets a cameo in this too. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, I think I did see that towards the end of the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's very much a handing over the uh, the banner. 
Yeah. Sort of moment. <laughs> I thought that was so sweet. I know it's it's obvious, but uh, give it to me. Yeah, <laughs> me and that. there's a lot. Like this is heavy-handed. Like it's there's a lot of cliches here, and it it is a fairy tale. And this is the thing. It's even though it's live action, it's still a Disney interpretation of this kind of tale, and they're hitting it hard with the happy ending and with, you know, kind of best possible scenario. So this is the ride you've signed up for. So don't go in expecting, you know, war movie, no, what, <laughs> you know, what, ancient Chinese dynasty film kind of thing. What you've signed up for here is, here is a stripped version of the animated show. Mm-hmm. So not many songs apart from the implanted ones at the end of the yeah. The movie. So it's not a musical. And just for balance, they also do a Chinese language cut of uh, oh. the Christina Aguilera one too. Okay. So there's a, another song in there split down the middle. Although we mostly know the 1998 movie Milan's soundtrack for its jolly songs. There's also Jerry Goldsmith's particularly fine score for it. Milan's decision here from the Disney animated film. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, stacking Z's on zero G on three triple R FM. was Milan's Decision by Jerry Goldsmith, instrumental track from the 1998 Disney animated film. And we're talking about Mulan. On Disney Plus. Here on Triple R with (laughs) Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. Look, I don't have too many problems with it as a film. The story's all there. They give you all the, the dramatic beats. I mean, some of these actors are just, they, they can just show up and read their lines and I'd happily watch them. Yeah. Where I think they do fall down is the subtexture, like that very important building of the team that we were talking about with the other interpretations of Milan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think they don't really manage to do that very well at all. It feels quite forced, like, I get the feeling that maybe those actors met each other when they were doing the scenes <laughs> and didn't manage to develop a rapport that comes through on screen. Yeah, you're right. I think there's some things that could have been more fleshed out. They're not really given depth. You know, at least in the other movies, they're on screen uh, giving enough sort of action to do to at least have a few beats and to at least flesh out the stereotypes that they're playing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you're not even getting enough so that people know exactly what stereotype you are, you know it's thin on the ground. <laughs> and I thought that, um, look, it was really painfully obvious that she was a woman. Yeah, I know. And I guess obviously with animation, you know, how was it in the other, the live action one, the 2009 that you saw? She's still obviously a woman. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, she's got enough mud and dust on her face and her her helmet covers enough of her head and hair mostly, you know, so there are ways that they can can sort of fudge it. Plus Mm. the fix is in as well and she's got someone to help her. Yeah, sure. Yeah. This one I'm just thinking, how stupid are you people? No, it stretches the imagination quite a way. Yeah it's no wonder that they get their asses kicked by the barbarians for a while in the movie at least. I do like the sorcerer. She's actually got presence in this. Mm. And because this is not a movie made in China as such, Mm. although there are some uh, scenes that they did shoot there. Those also have their own controversy attached, which I'll let you look up if you wish. Yes, (laughs) true. I think that they have a problem with giving me a a full-on sense of place at times. 
Yeah, and then when you've not got the character to latch onto either. I mean, you are kind of left with the action, and I do think the action and the fighting here was pretty fun to watch. And I think she did a great job of that movement and athleticism, or either her or her stunt double, whomever. That was quite well done, I think. Yes, the string foo is Mm. first class. And they also have some cloth foo or fabric foo. That I was a bit like, "Mm, what, what, what? Why is that fabric moving like that? Have you not encountered that before? (laughs) Not yet, not yet. I'm obviously not hanging out at the right places. This is the biggest Wuxia trope. Ah, okay. (laughs) You know, someone inevitably in many a Wuxia movie will stand off and throw their sleeves out at someone and the sleeves will go 50 feet and knock someone off. Right. Gotcha, gotcha. (laughs) It's used so often and it's nice to see it here. I don't know if they actually managed to carry it off as well as they might have, but it all works in this context. It does help sell the fact that Milan in this is actually kind of fictional in her powers and abilities. Yeah. I, I, I didn't mind that really. I felt a bit weird about the addition of some mystical stuff. I don't know if that was necessary or at least it wasn't fleshed out enough for it to be a real part of the story. It did feel like it was tacked on. I kind of would have preferred if it had just been a straight down the line battle story. She is an incredible warrior. She earns her place. They give her the respect she deserves. (laughs) What a fairy tale. And they give her the respect she deserves. But I would have liked that. Like the magic just to me made me have more questions and it just made me go, but I, mm." so I don't know about that element personally, but it didn't bother me enough to be a big bugbear. I do kind of reckon there is some precedent for the supernatural sense in the animated movies at least the spirits of milan's ancestors and the sordid guardian beasties take an active part in the film so you know i'm okay with the witch there too interesting point that is because they could have redone the witch as just being a very skilled sort of uh, infiltrator type character herself but i suppose then it's like you don't want to water down the mulan story with another a woman who has done that. So they were like, we'll make her a witch. I, I hope this isn't spoilers for people, but yeah. So I think they just maybe wasn't fleshed out enough what they were doing with that character. And it felt strange to me. That was one of the big problems that I, I can see how they had her propel the plot for Mulan and how they it helped tack things together nicely. But I just don't think it was the way to go personally. I would have liked to see that removed and done another way. Mm, yeah. I felt like it was all there, but Some of it was sketched in, almost like a bamboo scaffold around a new imperial palace. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Which, by the way, is a great location for a fight. Oh, yeah. No, it's like I said, some of the scenes were well done. In one of the battles I noticed with the archers, they all got on one knee to do the archery. And I remember when I went to see the Terracotta Warrior exhibition, and I enjoyed reading a lot about how those battles would be configured, and that seemed like it was maybe a little bit accurate. And then, of course, I think there's probably a bunch of other stuff that they added on for dramatic effect. But I wonder about how close to reality some of that stuff was. I think it would be nice if it was a little bit real, like close to history, but I'm not exactly sure. I'd have to look into it. Having watched four Mulan movies in the space of two days... (laughs) They're all beginning to blend together. But I do think that they did the standard, really excellent job of differentiating the command 
group from mm. the rank and file because they had uh, the general's armour looking absolutely unbelievably splendid, which is a trope <laughs> in Chinese movies generally that are set in historical periods. And the colours were great. You know, the camera work was first class. All of those production values, they were all there yeah. for, for this movie. I do think they let it down a little bit with the secondary characterizations, yeah. and that's a pity because it deserved more. And if you're not spending the time singing... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why not do some of that? <laughs> I think I'd like to go and watch some Chinese cinema that does similar kinds of fight and battles. And I think, yeah, I don't know. I, I might probably wouldn't recommend this one, but I did enjoy it. I can recommend at least 10. <laughs> okay, we'll talk, Rob. We'll talk. We'll I talk. think um, <laughs> I'd like to explore more that style of fighting, all of that. I'm interested to see a little bit more of that historical side. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm lukewarm on, on Mulan live action, unfortunately. Yeah, me too. I don't think it's a solid success as a film or an adaptation of the Mulan legend. It is all there, but it's it lacks mm. depth. Yeah, agree. Mm. That's a pity. Anyway, we will be back next week on Zero G, and we will go out today with China Girl by Mr. David Bowie. Love it. Not actually a strange choice. Yes, he was going out uh, with a, a woman of Chinese descent at the time when he did this, when he was in Australia. Mm. And he was thinking about, because he ran into a lot of Chinese Australian people here, and he was thinking about the Chinese expatriate community when he mm. wrote this song. Okay. But it was also used in, a, I think, an uncredited cover version as the trailer mu- music for the first Disney Milan movie. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so there's an odd little connection with David Bowie's China Girl. And that's it for Zero G. And Joe Brunatic is coming up next with Astral Glamour. Thank you to Kayla Larson, our podcaster. And thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.